Hey guys, welcome to episode 42, Hardfast Fitness, brought to you by Team Amino Pure and AminoPure.com. Amino-Pure.com, actually. Soon to be AminoPureLabs.com. So we are in the middle of a transition right now. Uh, I've been talking about this for some time. Today, I got the final rendering of our digital marketing campaign, uh, including some of our... Uh, our, uh, our new site that is going to look absolutely phenomenal. So I'm excited about the opportunities that's, that's being presented right now uh, through different portals, uh, investments that we're making to grow the, the brand. And uh, in time, we want to definitely start putting some YouTube channel uh, information and, and primarily as much information as we can in order to really drive forth our message, which is put as much knowledge out there for you, our listeners, to make a really intelligent decision in terms of how to supplement, how to diet, how to live a healthier lifestyle, which is really our message. Um, I understand that a lot of our our, our client base, our competitors, um, more and more we're, we're seeing that, um, uh, I, I want to say the, the, the current status of our, our, our client base is becoming more of a lifestyle, athletic performance athlete, if you want to call it. People that don't want to necessarily get on stage, but are, are looking for means of living a lifestyle of cutting, bulking, being in shape, maintaining in shape, maintaining a, a level of conditioning that's sustainable in a healthy manner. Uh, sometimes we want to push the envelope and push put information out there that will help you do certain things a little bit healthier. Uh, and that's really the key for us, right? How to bridge that gap between health and fitness and keeping you as healthy as we can. So that's really the uh, the current status of uh, a team amino pure and amino pure. And today's um, one of the, the the things I've been I've been driving all week this week has been uh, you know sometimes the, they say some of the bravest and most in, important thing you can do for yourself is show up. And the reason why I want to talk a little bit about that as we uh, begin this podcast on G-Flex with Brendan DeCruz uh, is because in, in life, and I, I can testify to this because this, this literally happened to me not so long ago with an investment that I made. Um, we often fail. And I think the biggest thing about the internet and the biggest thing about um, Instagram and social media is that you look at everybody's end results. We talk about the journey. We talk about showing up for yourself. And a lot of times, I think more people than more, more people than not, um, they want, they live through the eyes of others. Okay. They live on the images that are being portrayed, the images of athletes, the images of, of competitors, the images of all these elite people that are accomplishing great things. Uh, for themselves. And in some cases, they, for, they forget that the biggest obstacle that those people that achieve those levels of conditioning or fitness or whatever the goal may be, is that they always show up for themselves. You fall down, you pick yourself back up, keep showing up. You can't develop your back enough. You, you're looking for results. You're studying other people that have done it. Show it up for yourself. You need to adjust your calories to make sure that you're, you're losing additional body fat. You're showing up for yourself. You may not see the dividends right up front, but you're constantly making adjustments to reach your goal. And as you're doing so, you're learning. You're learning about your body. You're learning about uh, consistency. You're learning about physiology. You're learning how you function, how you primarily work. So I think showing up for yourself and understanding that um, many a times you're going to be doing things over and over and over again. And at times you may not see results right away. And then you all of a sudden, as you continue to show up for yourself, you'll have that aha moment where uh, you realize what you were doing wrong. 
and how to change in order to accomplish your ultimate goal. So um, let's 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 focus this month, this coming month of April here, as the year just zooms right by, in in primarily looking for information and showing up for yourself every day. Never stop showing up for yourself. Never stop showing up for your loved ones. Never stop showing up for your family. And uh, never stop showing up, period, whatever the goal may be. So with that being said, guys, welcome to episode 42 on G-Flux. We have a great episode uh, here in store for you with Brendan Cruz, which is always a welcome to Carfet Fitness. He is a wealth of knowledge and information, so I think that you'll definitely benefit from some of the information that we share with you. Uh, Once again, as always, thank you for your patronage. Welcome to Hard Fast Fitness, episode 42, episode 42. Um, I am stoked to, to have Brandon DeCruz here today to discuss something that I've been wanting to really dive into for some time now, uh, which is G-Flux or fl- energy flux. Uh, before we even start that, let me give you guys a quick update with regards to Team Amino Pure. And I think that uh, I've, I've, I've been trying to provide as many updates because I do get a lot of questions and DMs on, uh, on Team Amino Pure in terms of what are we doing, what's coming up next. Uh, there has been supplement delays on cortisol reset. Uh, I hope to have it over the next couple of weeks. GDA has been de- de- delayed like forever. So I'm hoping that that'll come through over the next three weeks as well. I keep getting the same thing, three weeks, two weeks, three weeks, three, two weeks, but uh, it's coming guys. I know you guys have been asking for it. It's a great supplement. Uh, I have looked over the dosages and I don't see anybody else having the 700, even the seven close to the, the doses that we have with our GDA glucose disposal agent. Uh, so we, we're introducing that we're introducing a metabolizer, estrogen metabolizer, which is already launched. Um, liposomal chase berry will be launching, uh, hopefully over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've been a little delayed with some of these launches because we just moved our offices, um, here in the Pacific Northwest. So we had to slow down a little bit to make sure that the transition doesn't skip a beat with regards to deliveries and shipments. So we are experiencing some, some great growth. So we're excited that we can put additional information out there. And as I promised, I was going to have uh, Brandon on, I've been trying to get Brandon nailed down for a podcast for some time now. So I'm, I'm stoked to have him on today. So Brandon, welcome to episode 42 of Harfast Fitness. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you not only inviting me back on, but being patient with me. My schedule has been uh, hectic to say the least, but I'm really glad to be able to reconnect. You're someone that I I really enjoy engaging with and and keeping in contact with. So I'm looking forward to this one. Well, same here, man. I mean, it's it's always a pleasure. And I always talk about surrounding ourselves with people that are very knowledgeable. And I think you're one of the people that I really look up to when you say things. And I may not post or sometimes I may not even comment, but I'm always paying attention to the things, the research that you do, the things that you're always coming out with. And it always spikes some interest in terms of learning, right? And, and the post that I put today was very, very true. You know, the, the, the second that you actually stop learning is the second that you fail yourself and you defeat yourself. So for me, it's, I always look up to people like yourself, uh, some of the, the better coaches in functional and strength and conditioning. So I'll always continue to learn because if, if I learn from you, then I can teach other people 
the message. And the message is always how to improve and become the better version of you. So that's, that's really the message. 100% my man. I always say every single day is an opportunity to learn more and serve more. And really um, when I came into every year, I have a different direct goal for my business, uh, whether it be in coaching or the sports nutrition brand that I, that I run. And within coaching this year, my biggest, my mission statement was to further the ripple effect of my coaching. And that comes from multiple aspects. You, you very well know, there's only so many people we can work with individually as it online physique and nutrition coach. However, you know, I've been doing mentorships with, with several mentees throughout the course of the year. And then also I get on these podcasts and I, I just, you know, I deliver information and really my whole goal is to be able to bridge the gap between info and research and then application and practical application at that, because I do have experience with thousands, you know, over a thousand clients in the trenches. So it's not like I'm just doing research. I'm applying it on an every single day basis. So I love that you take some of the info that I provide, you spread it out to other people because that's what this is all about. A lot of people keep things too close to the, the chest, you know what I mean? They don't want to educate others, but I can only help so many people one-on-one. Yeah. And I'm very blessed that I've been able to take on more and more clients, but at the same time, I have all this knowledge that I've gathered through over a decade in the trenches. So I want, if I could help someone when they're listening to a podcast, even if it's just inspiring critical thought, making them think more critically about what they're doing and maybe take a more optimal approach, my job is is done. I, I couldn't agree more. And I always say, even, even as we're, we're continuing to build our ambassador and coaching and partnerships, uh, my goal in running Team Amino Pure is basically the same goal that you have. This is the reason why I want you to come on, on, on our podcast and share some of your knowledge because there's only so many people that you can touch on a daily basis. And you're a human being. I'm a human being. I get tired. Uh, you know, throughout the day, we, we were just talking earlier in, 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 in we weren't even live yet. Um, you know, when, when Brandon gets up in the morning, I'm just going to bed. And he's in the East Coast. So he's up at 3.30. <laughs> I'm going to bed at 3.30. And sometimes I got to get up at 7. So it's like never ending. And even then, you know, you try to respond to as many people and reach as many people as you can. But collectively as a unit, as a group of individuals trying to really put forth the best knowledge, the best information out there, trying to steer away a little bit from bro science, but take the research and application and really spread that wealth of information out to as many people. We need to collaborate with people that share the same vision as we do. And that's important. And that's, what I see in you. that's what I totally see in you. And I, mean, I appreciate you more than anything. Um, you know, there's, there's very, I always say it, there's very few people that I really respect in terms of the, the, the amount of knowledge that they gain, and not only knowledge from, from science, but application. Because I, I'm, I'm being mentored by somebody in Canada with regards to pharmacology. So I'm getting a little bit more entrenched in pharmac- pharmacokinetics, pharmacology. And a lot of times what, what happens is people, so the supplement industry as a whole, you probably know this better than I do, as a whole, will take a study and manipulate it to mean whatever they want it to mean. And a, a study in a non-human being is in a Petri dish is one thing, but how does that supplement work when you actually put it into a human being? It's a completely different world. So 
You know, when it really comes down to research, I always try to, so when I, when I ever talk about research, it's always in human subjects first and foremost, but I always tell, you know, people come to me, my mentees, my clients, and they'll ask me about some of the research I go over. And also I have a lot of coaches that I work with as a coach to them, and they have a huge clientele list under them. So I'm, I'm spreading that ripple effect, but also they ask me how to interpret studies. And the biggest thing, this is a big piece of advice for anyone out there. You want to look for what's called external validity. Meaning how or, or what, in what context do the people in this study relate to either myself or to the people that I work with? So if it's a study on individuals that are, you know, uh, sedentary, obese, right. um, elderly, it's not going to be as applicable. It doesn't mean it's not valid. They've shown internal validity, but that's why I look more towards the resistance training studies. I do pull from all different types of literature because right. there's going to be some subsects like bodybuilding. We have very few studies on bodybuilders. So right. you need to pull from obesity literature and all these things and, and understand the mechanism of the action. But we also have to highlight the individual characteristics of the people that we work with and realize that studies report averages. They report means they don't report every single, you know, um, outlier from the studies and, and things of that sort. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. And that's why I'm really big into not only acquiring information, but the application side, because I'll tell you the way that I've come up with certain methodologies or principles is, or strategies more so is taking principles that I've learned that are evidence-based, but I always say I'm evidence-informed, meaning I take the information and then I practically apply it. And that's where I come down. Remember, evidence-based practice is a three-pronged principle. It is not just research. So a lot of people that will just throw out PubMed study they aren't evidence-based. Evidence-based right. is a, is a three-pronged approach and it includes three aspects. It includes the current research body of evidence. It includes the experiences, the preferences, and the needs of the client and the anecdotal experiences of the professional and practitioner themselves. And it's that collaboration of all three that that's what real coaching is. I think the anecdotal evidence is, is, is one of the most important things is a lot, a lot of times what studies show, and, and I'm very, I always scrutinize studies because I want to know Okay, you're talking about 35 men or 35 males or 100 males or 2,000 males. Well, what characteristics do they have, right? Are we talking about novice bodybuilders? Are we talking about regular sedentary people? Are we talking elderly? I mean, every single, if you take a, a study of 100 bodybuilders, the, the mean and the, the response that they're going to have to certain studies is going to be very different than taking a study for 100 people that are normal sedentary everyday life average Joe. So it's, it's, it's very important to look at all of those factors in order for you to really understand. I'm a big, I'm, I'm huge in terms of looking, obviously we're more in, into the supplement line, uh, but so are you, but I'm, I'm always looking at studies and I always say, okay, well, how does that apply when you actually take that and you put it into a human being? What is, what is the acid in your stomach due to that supplement? Does it change bioavailability? And that's really been our claim to fame. You know, our, our claim to fame with amino pure has always been, okay, well, we're going to take that that data and we're going to see how it's applicable and how we can maximize its absorption so that we can get the most out of that supplement you know there's there's, there's supplements there's studies that show that vitamin c only has 16 to 20 percent bioavailability absorption right uh, and and so how do we optimize it to get it into the 80s how do we optimize tercesterone how do we optimize epicatechin and that's really been our claim to fame in terms of our products and how we've been managed to excel and grow in a matter of a year the way that we've grown has been taking taking the science and, and put it in an application that it actually benefits people and optimizing the transport. So it's, it's amazing that we are, we're having these discussions, but let's talk about energy flux because this is a topic that I've been wanting to really dive into for a long time. Uh, so talk to me first about um, 
energy flux. What is energy flux and why should you eat more and move more? And what does it all mean anyway? All right. So overall, let me give you a broad-based perspective as to why I even got into this. We're going to dive into literature. We're going to dive into what energy flux is, how it applies, all those things. But really from a fundamental aspect, we need to go back to why I needed this or, or why I came up with this this approach and why I integrate it with so many, honestly, the majority of my clients at this point. And really it's because fat loss is an area that I've always been interested in both for myself as a physique competitor, and then also as a nutrition and physique coach myself. So the thing is when I first got into coaching during the early 2010s, I noticed that I was able to get both myself and a lot of those early clients lean and in stage shape, but many didn't maintain those results three, six, or in especially not 12 months after the diet had ended. Now, I probably should note that the majority of the clients I worked with during those years were physique competitors. So they shouldn't have stayed stage lean year round. But the fact that I'd see they, them go from being in the best shape of their lives to quickly out of shape only a few months after we had stopped working together sent me down like this massive rabbit hole. And I know you've been there where you're seeing something and you're like, listen, I have to figure out the mechanisms behind this. I have to figure out a solution to this. So I started looking more and more into the physiology behind not only fat loss and weight loss in general, but also what could we do to successfully maintain fat loss so that we didn't just get to a goal to quickly regain all the fat we had worked so hard to lose. Because honestly, that's what I was seeing. And when I initially started coaching, it was 2013. And it took me up until around 2017 to really come up with this approach and to really shift my focus from purely fat loss to both fat loss and then fat loss maintenance. And you know this very well because we've had many conversations. I tend to have a pretty obsessive personality. I'll be honest with you. I'm very analytical. And so I got deeply entrenched into the literature around weight loss maintenance and what were the most effective interventions that I could use with clients to ensure that they not only got lean, but remain lean even after their contest prep or their fat loss phases had ended. And we started to increase calories again and working towards building muscle while avoiding that fat regain, because that's what everyone was going through. They were having these, you know, people will call it an anabolic rebound, but they would gain a ton of fat mass. It wasn't any muscle mass that they were gaining. So due to the, due to how much time, attention, and energy I've spent into this topic, both in learning about it and applying it, the majority of my clients that I now work with, you know, especially over the last several years have come to me with a pretty similar goal. And that's to develop a lean, more muscular physique that they can actually maintain long-term rather than what they've been doing in the past, which is, you know, these cycles where they're going through these cycles of over-restriction to lose weight, but then right after the diet ends, they just gain a bunch of uh, fat back and they usually end up right back to where they started or even heavier and with a worse body composition than their initial, you know, than when they started their initial diet. And so I'm sure this is something that you've seen over the years. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, this is common because, we always hear, you know, it, it's extremely common. So we always hear in our industry that we have a fat loss problem where people are diet and weight loss resistant, where they suffer from metabolic damage, which is something you and I covered. We dispelled that yeah. myth in our previous podcast. Yeah. The, the main problem most people have doesn't actually resolve, revolve around the fact that they can't lose weight and body fat, because honestly, we know calorie deficits work. So yeah. if someone really wants to lose fat in the most simplistic way possible, they can listen to what most fitness professionals in this industry advise, which is just to eat less and exercise more. Now, here's the thing. The issue with this piece of advice is it's truthful, but it isn't useful, nor is it realistic or a sustainable approach, especially if your goal is to maintain a lean, healthy body composition long-term. 
So this is why I've spent the last few years both in the literature researching and then applying certain principles like this high energy flux lifestyle with my clients and then monitoring their results and their responses and have essentially been able to create this approach to maintain a lean, healthy physique year round, which I've seen work with hundreds of clients as well as myself. So this isn't just a lifestyle I promote and talk about. It's something I practice and utilize. And so when it comes to energy flux, really what we're referring to is the state of energy turnover. So this includes both the amount of energy we consume in terms of calories, and then how many we expend through all forms of physical activity, including our you know, intentional exercise and then our daily movement. So really how I try to get it across to people or, or really conceptualize it is think about it as putting energy into the system through food and then pulling more energy out of the system through movement, which is why you know I try to clarify when I talk to clients as we're going to eat more and move more, which is an emphasis on move more as this approach isn't about like just cranking up training volume or having people do hours on a step mill or trying to chase a higher calorie burn to eat more cheesecake. Like this is literally, we're trying to increase your physical activity and reap all the benefits that come from that. Yes, a question. And, and this is what I've noticed with, with even with my coaching uh, approach, which I, I, it's very systemic. And, and what I've noticed that actually does work is, um, Perfect example. I have a couple of clients right now, two females and one male that we were able to reverse them. And the first thing mm-hmm. I want to do is first I clear out all their med, all their their health markers, right? Whether they're sleep deprived, whatever the issues are, cortisol levels are high, A one C's high, whatever it is. But what I've noticed the most is uh, for competitors or people that are actually dieting to some certain levels of conditioning that are very hard to sustain, right? Um, they don't really allow their bodies to catch their metabolism to catch up. They eat an overconsumption of calories and they have that fat gain. I've seen 20, 30 pounds in a week. I mean, a week, Absolutely. two weeks. And would you say that that's really the issue at the, because when I, when I, my approach is really to reverse most people, even before I start a cut protocol, I always reverse them. So I go as high as I can go in calories. And sometimes I have clients that don't even shift a pound. I mean, I have a client that's stuck at 230 and we added 1400 calories over the last five weeks, close to 1600 now. And he's still stuck at 230 eating almost 4,000 calories. So would you say that the biggest, the biggest issue that you, that you see income in, and this is different from lifestyle, maybe a little different from style lifestyle is the fact that people don't understand that they need to allow to give their bodies time, their metabolism time to catch up before they, they can do so many calories in. 100%. So what we see after a diet is you're in a metabolically adapted state, which means all aspects of your total daily energy expenditure are downregulated, meaning your, your resting metabolic rate is, is suppressed. Your thermic effect of feeding is lower because you're eating less food. Your non-exercise activity thermogenesis is highly suppressed, meaning even just your subconscious movement. If you ever saw, and I'll tell you, I have videos of me doing this where I've been at presentations and I've been in a contest prep and I'm even blinking slower. Like Ron, think about things like those are completely subconscious, but you're not moving as much. Think about anyone that's deep into a diet, whether you've been on stage and in stage condition, you're like a zombie. You're a zombie. If you're just yeah, Yeah. you're sitting, you're you're sitting, you're compensating more. And then think about yourself in the gym. You're not able to lift as heavy, so you're you're not expending as many calories within that session itself. You're not able to have as much output. Maybe you're cutting back your volume. So there's so many aspects of the total amount of calories per day that you're used to burning that are downregulated. And what we see in in metabolic adaptation is that we can see up to a 25% reduction in someone's total daily energy expenditure. So say someone was, was um, expending or burning 3000 calories per day, 
just from losing some weight, they could be down to two, almost 2,200 calories because that's a 750 calorie reduction. It's huge. So just from there, think about it. if they go right back to maintenance, they go right back to 3,000 calories, they are now in a 750 calorie surplus. Perfect. So they're getting more than a, a pound a week. So think about like, we are not primed for regaining muscle tissue after a diet. And the reason being is that you haven't depleted your muscle cells. You've depleted your fat cells. So we have something called body fat overshooting, where there's a lot of what are called adipocytic, um, you know, enzymes, which upregulate like you're, you're insulin sensitive, but you're not only insulin sensitive at the muscular level, you're insulin sensitive at the fat level. And think about it from an ancestral perspective, evolutionarily, if we went through a time of famine, what would our body try to restore first? It's energy stores. Think about it just logically. It's going to restore fat because it's fearing that next time we might be in famine. So you gain all this fat. And the biggest issue is extremes in this industry. So instead of titrating things like with a reverse diet. I'm a big proponent of reverse dieting. I titrate up calories as I titrate up movement. So they stay in line because think about what we're trying to do right after a diet. We're trying to get back to a healthier state of maintenance, maintenance in terms of calorie intake, maintenance in terms of all the body's internal mechanisms. So we have to do that through increasing calorie intakes, you know, in a titrated manner where it's not this massive overflux, you know, over, uh, you know, surplus of nutrients because the body doesn't respond well to extremes. The body wants homeostasis. So if you go to this extreme, you start binge eating after a diet, you're going to gain fat. And that's the thing. And also what do people do right after a diet? They're, they're done with their, their prep or with their fat loss phase automatically drop cardio, you know, and then they yeah. add all this food. So now they're lowering their output. They're, yeah. they're increasing their input. And it's just this mismatch of calories in, calories out. And they almost forget the calorie balance equation, you know, is really the fundamental law, you know, that kind of governs our body composition outcomes. Yeah, I think is the, the whole idea of super compensation is kind of like when you carb deplete and then you, you fill out, you over, you're, you're super compensating the deficit of carbs in your muscle glycogen, right? It's the same concept when it comes to fat. I mean, you've actually, you've actually lowered your energy balance so low that when you start inducing all that fat and carbs and everything, everything, your body starts to store everything because it's been in hundred percent in such a, a, a deficit in such a starvation mode that your body doesn't know it, it, when you're going to feed it again. So it just, it just wants to store everything. And, and the worst thing that I've seen is competitors that are very genetically gifted that do this all the time where they compete, they get shredded, you know, shredded. And within a week or two weeks, they're up 20, 30 pounds. I've seen it in females. And they look like they didn't ever, they never competed. Here's the thing. Everyone used to promote this thing called an anabolic rebound post-show. Now, what we really have in it is an adipose rebound. You're gaining fat tissue. There's actually research studies done on bodybuilders where they've looked at the six weeks in the post-contest um, season. If anyone wants to look this up, it's by Trexler et al. And what he saw, and he's a competitive bodybuilder himself. He's a professional bodybuilder that is also a PhD. What he saw is within the first two to three days of you know um, ending a contest, all the weight that was gained was water and glycogen. So it took three days to, to recompensate those, those entities. Plus three days of overfeeding isn't going to be enough to really store that much of tangible fat tissue. That's now from three, <laughs> yeah, from three days up until six weeks, they did not regain any lean body mass. So no muscle was gained. They gained purely body fat. Yeah. So what they saw was a massive increase in fat, in fat mass and no increase in fat-free mass because they're still restoring their hormones, their body's getting into balance. And remember, their, their energy expenditure and their metabolic rate is still suppressed. Right. So it's not catching up with that increase in calories. So 
everything has to be done in moderation first and foremost and in a titrated manner where you're really monitoring things don't just throw everything into the system and expect that it's not going to stick i try to explain it to clients like this when someone ends a diet i try to explain to them like a sponge when you finish a diet it's almost like you you had a sponge that you completely wrung out it's completely dry now here's the thing if you were in an off season you are a filled sponge so you're full of water so say that you go to put you know a full sponge on top of a, a countertop and try to soak up more water, your body's not going to soak up many more nutrients. Right. However, if you're a completely sprung out run uh, um, sponge, like you are when you're after a fat loss phase, you're completely depleted of fat. You go to pick up that water, it's going to suck it up. So that's what your fat cells are doing. It's sucking up all those extra nutrients and they're getting partitioned more towards fat storage than they are towards glycogen or muscle. Yeah. I think one of the biggest issues also is people don't take, don't realize that your thyroid has also deregulated. So you have to allow, whether it's through supplementation or somebody that is actually knowledgeable, you have to allow time to get your thyroid back, your T3 to T4 conversion up and back to homeostasis. So there's so many moving hormonal factors that come into play when actually trying to come back from an extreme fat loss. That's why I'm, I, I don't really like coaching competitors. Not that I can't. I think I have enough knowledge at this point to really get somebody pretty lean. I love working with lifestyle because it's a little bit more systemic. There's no, no aggressive timeline. Um, basically you get, you get, you get to see that transformation and you get to see the journey that they go through and they get to learn exactly how hormones play such a big role in fat loss. And most people gen pop don't realize that the balance of hormones is one of the most important things. If your hormones are not balanced, if you have thyroid issues, if you have slow metabolism, your weight loss journey is not going anywhere. It's very important to understand. And I think only after you optimize all of that, you can start talking about getting into a, well, even after you, I reverse all my clients, I reverse them all as high as I can uh, with a very little fat loss, uh, very little fat gain. And then we start talking about, okay, where are, are all your markers in place? Okay, let's talk about adding a little bit more, maybe cardio. And I always try with 40, four, four times 20 minutes as we're rebounding back from, from, an, from an, let's say from a, from a cut, to make sure that they're basically, they're still moving. It helps digestion. I mean, there's so many benefits for your heart. I think the biggest issue is people just cut out all cardio. They already have a, a deregulated thyroid. And what do they do? They start overfeeding it. All of that just becomes fat. They, it can't be healthy for your body. Your body does not like that. Your body does not want that. And getting outside of the competitive realm, it's not healthy. It can't be healthy on an everyday, everyday basis. Absolutely, my man. I couldn't agree more. So let's, let's dive back into a little bit more of um, what is the, your, your goal with clients when using like a high energy flux approach? So what, how, do you, how do you stage it? How do you prep for somebody? How, what do you do? You add more cardio? Do, are you overfeeding? Are you, is it a systemic approach? How, how do you do that? All right. So overall, my goal is with clients is to get them into a position where they're able to eat the most amount of food possible while staying lean which is why I prefer to transition them into a high flux model, especially if they come to me in a low flux state. So let me explain the, the difference between the two. So everyone out there can understand because energy flux doesn't refer to whether it's high or low. There are differentiating, there's different states of energy flux. So 
really the first goal when trying to maintain a lean physique, which is the goal of, you know, with 99% of my clients, they come to me with that goal. That's what I'm known for maintaining a lean, healthy physique, keeping metabolic health in check, and then getting people to their goal. And it usually revolves around fat loss and then lean building phases. That's what most people come to me for. But the main goal when doing that after finishing a diet is to get to a state of energy balance where their energy expenditure and their intake are evenly matched. So keep in mind, we were just speaking about the post-contest. The reason why people are gaining so much fat is that they have low energy expenditure, so low amount of calories burned, and then they're taking in a ton of calories in terms of intake. However, we can reach energy balance using either a high or a low flux model, which is primarily based on the amount of activity you do and the amount of, act, the amount of calories you consume daily. So for example, if you're in a low energy flux state, you'd be maintaining both your body composition and your weight through eating a low amount of calories coupled with low activity levels. And this is probably the situation I encounter most people in when they come to me because they just finished a prep or they just finished a fat loss phase. So basically throughout the course of that, that prep or that fat loss phase, their calorie intake has gotten lower and lower throughout the diet and their total daily energy expenditure has dropped their metabolic rate has slowed as a result of metabolic adaptation, which we spoke about in the last episode. And so their activity levels are lower. Um, you know, all these things are, are down-regulated, including their NEAT levels. And so a low flux state is one where you essentially put in less energy in the form of food and get less energy expenditure out as a result of eating less and thus moving less. And I like to refer to this as a restriction-based model, meaning you're going to have to restrict calories just to stay lean if you do this approach. But the thing is, this isn't sustainable. If you finish a diet, think about anyone that's went through a substantial diet where they've gotten lean. How much longer can they stay in that down-regulated place where they're really chronically restricting calories? And that's why when people come to me, I try to go and switch them into a different system, which is the high flux state, which is where you'd be maintaining your weight through essentially eating more and being more physically, act physically active, which allows your calorie intake to be much higher than it'd be in this low energy flux state as the increase in activity is essentially like buffering, you know, those extra calories and it's keeping you in energy balance. So those individuals are basically able to stay lean on a high calorie intake. So this means you put more energy in, you get more energy out. Let me ask you a question. When you're talking about higher activity, what exactly are you talking about? Uh, I, I, I know what you're talking about, but tell, tell our audience, what does that mean? Does that mean more cardio, more hit, or just more? No, no, no. So here's the thing. I want every, I'm so glad you asked that. So here's my thing. When I say, and this is my catchphrase, I say this with my clients, I want you to move more or eat more, move more. And by movement, I could say eat more, exercise more. That would sound sexier. To the average you know, fitness professional, that sounds sexy. Here's the thing, it's not about exercise. Exercise is about adaptation. And what I mean by that is training. So say you're resistant training. You shouldn't be going in there to burn calories because honestly, if we look at the studies on resistant training, the okay. average weight training session for a large male, meaning a 100 kilogram or 220 pound male, burns about 300 calories, my man. It's not that substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. Exercise, intentional exercise is about adaptation. It's about putting a sufficient stimulus on your body to force an adaptation, whether that be building muscle, increasing strength, um, improving condition, all those aspects. When I say move more, I mean more physical activity. I need more walking, more steps, standing more than sitting, doing things that are going to keep you physically active, but it's all movement and it's all activity outside of the gym. It's not intentional exercise. It's integrating a higher level of physical activity through your day-to-day -day life without, you know, living in the gym, essentially. I think what, what, and just for our audience, and this is what I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 
uh, what Brandon is trying to talk to uh, tell us is if you live in a building and I live in a building and instead of taking the elevator, take the stairs, take the stairs a hundred percent. Right. Uh, instead of writing is instead of, uh, maybe taking your car to go to the gym across the street, go ahead and walk, Absolutely. Uh, you know, do, do little things that create more movement. And I suffer from that because of the fact that I'm stuck in front of a, uh, a computer for, uh, even before when I was doing my corporate job, I had, literally in an office sitting for eight hours a day. So I always have to make a cognizant effort to get up, stretch, move, go to the bathroom, just move around to get blood circulation. It helps digestion. I mean, there's so many benefits to moving. So I think that's really the, the, the you have to have a cognizant uh, mind frame to, to basically make those decisions. Okay. Well, is it better if I, if I literally walk instead of, instead of take the bus, or if, if you can, if you can do that, walk to, across the street to get coffee instead of driving. So making those little small differences or changes in your everyday life are, are going to make you that much leaner and help your, your, your overall physique goals. I know that you've spoken about it, the, the excellence cartel. This is one of the reasons why I actually listened to, to that podcast. And I said, you know, we definitely need to talk to, uh, to Brandon and bring him on board and really dive into what energy flux means and what he, what you're basically saying, correct me if I'm wrong is as you're titrating your calories up, you're actually asking people to move more and not necessarily in the gym, but everyday life. Absolutely. So really what it is, is I'm feeling activity. The first key is that, any, any high flux state, it first starts with calories. We got to put energy into the system. So I always tell people we're fueling your activity. I'm getting more calories into a client. And then honestly, if we look at literature on overfeeding studies, we see generally an upregulation in meat, which is our non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So with that, they're going to start moving more just subconsciously, but also I want them to intentionally move more because there's so many benefits that we could go through as to why moving more Eating more and moving more is more beneficial than eating less and moving less. And like I said, you could stay at energy balance. You can maintain your body weight and body composition through either way, but it's going to be a far healthier and be far more sustainable to use a high energy flux model. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. So talk to me a little bit more about um, what, what time frame or how long does it take in your experience to titrate somebody, you, is it, is it, is it a, like the way that I do it, I just, it's, it's in a way, some kind of reverse. Uh, I literally go the opposite way where I like to tell my clients, I never let them not do cardio. Um, I always, even, even if they're, they're not what they, what we consider competitive body, competitive bodybuilders, uh, as they're trying to go through a build phase or a muscle gaining phase, I always put in four sessions of 20 minutes of cardio because of the digestion benefits, because of the heart benefits, because it helps in so many different aspects. Do you do something similar to that? And do you do a titration of about four to six weeks, or do you go as high as you can calories as you continue to add more movement? Okay. So, so first and foremost, I want to say there is no one size fits all protocol. I will never, and you can listen, I'm on a hundred podcasts thus far over the years, never once have I spouted a protocol. So I always say it's, it's dependent on the individual. And I know that that's not a satisfactory answer to people, but I've worked with over a thousand people at this point. And it's always been different. So the titrated method, and I want, I do want to highlight this out just so you know, and that, so the audience knows this is separate from everything else we're doing. I have training and cardio programming for my clients based on their needs, their goals, their metabolic health, all their individual characteristics. This energy flux is a completely separate entity. This is about 
the movement and the benefits of movement that are aside from the adaptations that are sustained through cardiovascular work, as well as through, through, um, you know, resistance training. So when I have cardio in a client's program, that's at a prescribed heart rate, that's for the cardiovascular benefits. That's for the aerobic conditioning benefits. We're going to get some of those with energy flux, with moving more, with walking more. However, the intention isn't just for that with cardio, we can look for more calories burned because it's at a higher level of intensity and a sustained duration. Whereas when I'm looking at energy flux, usually the first lever I'm pulling is steps. So generally what I'm doing is when a client comes to me, I'm looking at their state of energy balance. Where are they at and where are their maintenance calories at? If someone comes to me and it's really, really low, the first thing I'm doing is trying to put more calories in a titrated method. So it could be 200 calories. It could be 500 calories. It's really going to be dependent on the individual themselves. And then I'm going to see how their body weight reacts, how it, you know, I'm going to track it daily. I'm going to see their, their weekly averages. And then I'm going to incrementally increase steps, but it's always individualistic. So a lot of people, you know, I've been on many podcasts speaking about this, uh, this process and people will ask me, well, how many steps do I hit? It's very dependent. Energy flux is based on your starting state. So yeah. for me, I'll tell you personally, my energy, my level of high flux is 15,000 steps per day wow. plus, but that's my lifestyle. That's, I take walking breaks. I take all my calls, usually walking. I I've even employed, you know, at times in my career, I've had a walking uh, desk you know, a walking desk, yeah, stuff like that. So this is stuff that I've integrated, but I have people that come to me that are on average doing 3000 steps per day. That they're was in a me. low flux state. That they're, was they're me. eating, they're eating very low amounts of food and they're moving very little. They're sedentary. So with that, as I increase food, I increase their energy flux or I increase their steps. But I have some people that are technically in a high flux state, eating more and moving more mm. at 8,000 steps. And then I have other people eating more and moving more at 15,000. It's all relative to the individual themselves. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. It, 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 everything's about adaptability. That's really what the message that you're basically saying. It's kind of like when I'm reversing someone and there's somebody that can only go so high. And I've noticed this with even with females, actually mostly with females, I tend to be able to reverse somebody and, and titrate their calories higher in males for a longer period of time. I mean, I've gotten somebody over 1700 calories with a lot with, with very minimal fat gain, but with, before their digestion takes, you know, takes a hit with females, there's only so much you can go, but everybody's so different where, where I've struggled in the past, even for myself, my own personal experience is exactly what you're talking about. I started, I started monitoring my steps uh, when I was still working in my corporate job and I was averaging 3,200, 2,900, not a whole lot of steps. And I realized, okay, well, now I understand that the data supports the evidence that I'm not, I'm not in a, in a very high fat loss state. I'm maintaining most, my weight's not changing. So well, I made it, I made an effort to really go out there and force myself to go on walks, force myself to get up and move more. And systematically you start noticing some changes. As, as minute, I went from 3,000 to 5,000. No, and, and when you talk about 15,000, that wasn't me, but it was an improvement that I made from going to 3,000 to 5,000 steps. So everybody's going to be a little bit different when, when it comes to that. And I, and I totally, totally uh, agree with your, with your perspective on that. Um, so we talked a little bit about the energy, the benefits of high energy flux, uh, research behind the benefits of high energy flux. Let no, me let's, no, let's go, let's go into the benefits, man. Okay. We, we only just touched the surface, my man. We okay. talked about more calories, but there are so many benefits. And this is what I really want to get across to people because often when someone hears energy flux and eating more and moving more, they're thinking about chasing calories. They're yeah. like, oh, you know, we're going to move more to chase calories. And yes, it's going to increase your energy expenditure, but there are so many benefits beyond that. And that's why I really, I utilize this in fat loss maintenance. And that's really 
my main goal, because I do have so many clients that come to me in this down-regulated state. They're people that have been labeled metabolically damaged or weight loss resistant or metabolically resistant. And so with that, I had to look for, or my main mission was looking for a philosophy and an approach to really help these individuals long-term because anyone, I'll tell you this, honestly, any coach out there can get someone shredded in 12 weeks, but if that's all you can do, I always say, I'm not at this part point in my career, I'm almost 10 years into coaching. I'm not chasing physique transformations, Ron. I'm chasing lifestyle transformations and I want them to be better physically, metabolically, health-wise, everything. But I also want them to live a more fulfilled, sustained life. And we can only do that if we live a life of abundance. And abundance is eating more. Think about it. We are in an obesogenic environment. There are hyper-palatable foods everywhere, energy-dense foods everywhere we go. And it's really hard to stay in this restriction-based mindset. I've had girls come to me on 800 calories. I've had grown men come to me on 1,400, 1,500 calories. I've I've had 200 pound men at 1300 calories. And the, and the first thing I say is like, well, I'm not losing any body fat. And I said, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're stalling your metabolism. I mean, there's so many factors. You've downregulated everything. And I'm with you. I'm the same way. I actually would much rather work with people that have no timeline because I think the biggest misconception is that that elusive 12 week cut, everybody comes in and they want that immediate. I want to lose 30 pounds in the next month. Right. And they are, heavily over, over, I don't want to say obese, but not in shape at all. They're not even close to being remotely 12%, 13%. They come in at 25%. And they think that there's a magic button that you're going to press to regulate all their hormones, to regulate their metabolism, to regulate their, they change their entire concept of what it takes to get to a certain point. That itself can take six to eight weeks or longer to fix some of these digestion issues, hormone balance issues. Even before I think you even start to contemplate a cut, you need to prep before a cut. And I tell everybody that if you want to lose 30 pounds and you come in with a, being, let's call it what it is, a clusterfuck, it's not, it's not going to happen with me because you're only going to get worse. Um, you know, it, it, getting into a, an aggressive 12-week cut is not, is not, it's not a good place to be in if you haven't prepped to be in that phase. And that's just my opinion. So I think working with people long-term, understanding that it takes a lot of different things to optimize their hormones, their body, their metabolism, to get them to that mental place, also mental, the, the mentality of where they're at physically and emotionally in their mind to, to go through that cut phase. It takes time. It just takes time. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think that I always say I'll never be the guy that was last year, meaning I don't want to be in last year's shape because this year I'm in better shape than I was last year and the year before that and the year before that. So I constantly see an improvement trend year after year after year. I was talking to somebody just the other day, uh, right after my surgery on the phone, and she's like, I can't lose body fat. I can't lose weight. And I said, you're talking about two different things. You want to lose weight or you want to lose body fat. It's not going to happen overnight, but one thing that you want to keep in mind is if you stick to the principles in a, in a lifestyle format and refuse to be the same person every year, you can only improve. But you have to have the knowledge to do that. And energy flux, I think, is a great – I mean, you've incorporated energy flux into your, your daily routine, correct? It's into my daily routine, and I also utilize it with so many clients. And here's the thing. This isn't just about, like I said, the, probably the biggest benefit – and the, the context in which I use it most often is in cases of fat loss maintenance. When someone has come to me, whether they've just finished a diet or they want to do a diet, but there's a lot of cases like you're hitting on right now, 
something that I encounter almost every day. I have so many people come to me that they're not in a great place physiologically or psychologically to start a diet, but their goal is fat loss. And what I do in that instance is I put them in what I call a primer phase. And this is where I prioritize improving how a client's internal physiology is working so that we can get them back to the point where they're starting to progress their external physique. But it comes down to having to have made improvements internally first, because the the body and the brain, you know, work together, but I always say a healthy body is a responsive body. So during this primer phase, I'm looking to improve their metabolic health. I'm looking over their health markers, like their resting heart rate, their blood pressure, their fasted glucose. I'm increasing their overall fitness levels. I'm focusing on aerobic conditioning. So a lot of times I'll have these big muscular bodybuilders come to me that they can't take less than five minutes rest between sets because they have absolutely no aerobic conditioning. So they're really anaerobically you know, condition, meaning they're able to sustain really high levels of weight and load in the gym, which is an anaerobic activity. But what a lot of people don't realize is that in between our sets, that works off of aerobic metabolism, meaning it's cardiovascularly based. So that's how we, we recover in between sets. We reperfuse muscles, we get nutrients delivered. So during that primer phase, I'm utilizing this energy flux to increase their insulin sensitivity, to get better recovery, both between sets and between workouts. I'm improving their stress management skills. I'm looking to you know, improve all these markers because I've really seen that when I'm able to get a client to where their internal physiology is more optimized, the, the healthier that I'm able to get them, the better they, they adapt, respond, and the better results we get over the long haul. So although fat loss may be their goal initially, I need to get their body into a state where I don't have to force the body to lose fat. I can coax it to lose fat. And I utilize a lot of these energy flux principles through that because there are so many broad-based you know, benefits of energy flux. Like for instance, it's been shown even in the literature that maintaining high levels of physical activity had been shown to be one of the key predictors of both weight loss success and then weight loss management success. So even if we look at the National Weight Control Registry, which is the biggest database for you know, that looks at the most common traits about, uh, among those who have been ses- successful with losing weight and keeping it off. One of the number one uh, common predictors or characteristics that these guys share is that they engage in high amounts of physical activity. And so that just off the bat, let's keep you into a state where you're moving more. Other things is, you know, we also have to look at it from the perspective of eating more because that's a, that's a big thing. A lot of people will look at the activity and they're, they're athletically based or, or a lot of people in fitness, they're extremists. And we know that they want to do more, do more, do more. Really what I try to get them, we're coupling two things. We're coupling your energy intake and your energy expenditure. So with that, you know, allowing you to eat more and maintain a higher calorie intake improves your energy levels. You're going to have better fuel for performance, for training, your better energy levels day to day. You're going to have better dietary adherence, especially because you're going to have increased food variety and flexibility. You're also going to have greater micronutrient intake. So I can't tell you how many times, you know, people come to me in a dieted down state and they have all, they're not only under fueled in terms of calories, they're not only in a calorie deficit, but they're in a nutrient deficit, my man. They're, they're lacking zinc, iodine, selenium, all these necessary cofactors. You know, we talk about thyroid health. Yeah. They have none of the necessary cofactors yeah. to convert T4 to metabolically active T3. Right. And they, they're, when I look at their blood work, they have really low T3 levels and very high reverse T3 levels. So now we have to work on not only the micronutrient side, but also the stress management side. Yeah. And then also, you know, eating more, a lot of people, you will come to me in this down-regulated state. Well, we see that just eating more can increase your metabolism and your ability to handle more food because it increases 
all the aspects of total daily energy expenditure. So by eating more, you're going to boost your metabolic rate. We've actually seen in research studies that overfeeding can elicit a 10 to 15% increase in resting metabolic rate. You also have more food coming in. So say you increase your calories over, I increase a client's calories a thousand over the course of an eight week period. You know, I'm reversing them over eight weeks, a thousand calories go up. Just from that, the average thermic effective feeding accounts for 10%. So I just increased their, their total daily energy expenditure by hundred calories, just by putting more energy in the system. We also see a, a huge thing. A lot of people, why do a lot of people fail diets, Ron? Because of hunger. Honestly, that's the biggest thing, you know, and we actually see that increasing movement improves appetite regulation because it makes you more sensitive to satiety signals. So you can more easily manage your hunger and regulate your energy intake. So you're not only going to be fuller, not only because of the fact that you're eating more, but you're going to be able to be more in tune with your hunger signals. So you're going to be less at a likelihood, especially in that dieted down state to binge eat, to overdo it, to overconsume calories. So there's, there's so many aspects of this that I've incorporated into reverse dieting phases, into dieting phases, into building phases. There's so many, it's so applicable that that's why I found this to be such a great approach with my clientele. Yeah, I think that what I tell my clients is we're going to peel this like an onion. And, and basically what that means is we're going we're gonna to fix one, one uh, level at a time. We're going to peel one level, fix it. Um, if you're having cortisol issues, uh, you know, high glucose issues, did you hydrate before your blood work? What, are, what, is, what is your entire blood, markers, blood work markers look like? Even before we talked about the prep before the before a cut, I think it's detrimental and, and super important to have those expectations in mind. Uh, and a lot of our, our listening audience are very are novice. They're not competitors. So it's important for you to have realistic expectations of how and it is the hard part. You know, Brandon's been doing this for for over, what, 10 years, 15 years or so. I've been learning and, and, and dabbling into 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 functional and, and different approaches over the last five years. And what I've learned is to make sure that you actually do things systemic you know, a small change. I never adjust anybody's diet for more than 10 to 12% at a time. And it's, that's just my rule of thumb. And it actually works for me with my clients, uh, wherever they have actually been amazed. The biggest issue that we see is everybody wants everything so quick. Uh, they can be a total mess, but they're no, I, I got to go on clan. I got to go on this. I'm like, you know, you need to wing off of all that stuff because that's really what's screwing up all your other markers. And we need to make sure that we peel it like an onion. So it's, it's detrimental to not only to your health. And I think that from, from a systemic approach, I want people to realize and think, okay, let's not get caught up in the Instagram phase or Instagram stage where we're looking at all these elite athletes shredded all year round and believe that they really are shit all year round. Because I know that sometimes people, athletes even post pictures from last year. Um, you know, it's, it's stop living through somebody else's eyes and optimize the best that you can do with the information highway that we're providing with the information that we're providing on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. Take that one piece of nugget, talk, look into energy, energy flux uh, maintenance. Where, where would you be Hire a coach that understands that. Hire a brand. Learn from people that, that understand how to get there. And as you progress through your own journey, you're going to learn and learn and learn. I diet myself down. I mean, you know, I'm not doing any contest prep or anything, but I have managed to, to take my body into different levels by understanding different methodologies different coaches utilize. And this energy flux has been one that I definitely have been wanting to dive into a little bit. Uh, I haven't, I, I managed to increase my, my calories and I managed to increase my energy. Um, 
output because I was moving more. So I, I made an effort, never got to the 15,000 cal- uh, 15, steps that you and, and Jeff Black get into. But well, I- well, Jeff Black's a great example. Let me give you an example of that. So that's a perfect case study. So Jeff Black, I was on a call with him, um, I want to say like a year and a half ago, and I was telling him about this energy flux and I was giving him some examples of clients that I'd worked with, both females and, and males. And I actually had an IFBB pro client that I had reverse dieted and I had gotten his calories about 1200 calories over and he was maintaining his body weight yeah. and probably about 7% body fat. It was incredible. You wow. actually know him, Anthony Scalza. Okay. That's one of my yeah, clients. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony's a freak, man. He yeah, looks, so, he looks but great. here's the thing. Anthony, when he came to me, he wasn't like that. So I'm not saying it's completely, you know, obviously we have worked together for a long period of time, but what I'm saying is his body composition has completely changed by taking a different approach. And he was the person exercising more and eating less. And he was also the person training seven days per week, but he wasn't that physically active. So what I mean by that is a lot of people, they have this um, idea, a lot of people within the fitness industry, oh, I train a lot. Training and physical movement are completely two different things. They actually, in research studies, show that they send a different signal. So they do things called challenge tests, where they'll actually take healthy, lean individuals. And what they'll do is they'll put them on four days of office work, meaning that they're sedentary throughout the day. And at the end of that four-day period, they'll have them do an hour of intense exercise. So that's pretty much what the average person does. They mm-hmm. sit in an office all day, and then they do an hour of hard, intense exercise at the gym. And what they do after that period is the next morning after a nighttime workout, they do it. They um, issue a metabolic challenge test, which means it's just a high carb, high fat test. And then they they um, monitor their blood work and they look for how well, how great is your insulin sensitivity? How uh, quickly can you clear blood glucose out of your um, system? How you know high does your insulin levels elevate? Um, And then they compare it to sedentary versus active individuals. So those who keep a higher step count, what they see is even in those that are, that are active in the gym. So they did that hour of intense activity. If they were sedentary during the day, they did not see the metabolic health benefits from an insulin sensitivity and a fatty acid oxidation, meaning your ability to burn fats, you know, uh, blood lipids that those that were active had. So here's the thing. It's two different signals. Exercise is an adaptation signal. So just because you are highly physically active in the gym during your one hour a day, let's think about it logically. The average person probably trains five days a week and maybe they train an hour a day. So what is that, Ron? That's five hours. Mm -hmm. Now, 23 other hours of the day, you know, let's take apart eight hours for sleep. So right there, we're down to 15 hours. If you're sedentary for 12 to 15 hours a day, you're really active. You're going really hard in the paint for one hour a day, and then you're sleeping. You're pretty inactive. The vast majority of your day, you're not burning calories, and you're not engaged in physical activity. And that's going to hinder some of the benefits that you can get from a metabolic health perspective, yeah. especially in terms of metabolic flexibility, in terms of insulin management, in terms of blood sugar management, and insulin sensitivity. So we have to really realize that it's two separate things. But with Jeff Black in particular, I was telling him about all these benefits that I was seeing with energy flux. And as you know, I, I went out to the Physique uh, Education Collective and I presented on this exact topic. Yeah. And so I told him about the titration up of the steps and using higher calories with clients that I was dieting down. And he said, listen, you know, I'm looking at, I'm currently in an off season. I'm going to start trying it. So he started, you know, uh, slowly increasing his, his step counts, Walk. going for yeah. daily walks. Yeah. He was doing post-meal walks, which is a big thing that I advise because it helps to lower the insulin response mm-hmm. to meals and it increases uh, GLUT4 translocation, meaning your body's ability to partition nutrients better, get them into muscle cells better. And so he started utilizing it and then he did a full prep. And if you guys go back to the Excellence Cartel podcast, 
He'll, he, you can hear him recount his entire experience. He dieted on more calories, you know, kept, got in better condition, had a more, better uh, insulin. you know, no, no, everything. His yeah. metabolic health markers were better, but he also had a better experience because he wasn't in this chronically low energy availability state where he had to keep lowering calories and lowering calories and lowering calories. He was able to keep calories much higher and he was also just able to stay active. And he wasn't in that typical dieted down bodybuilder state where you're a zombie all day. You're barely able to get into the gym because you're on such low calories. You're flat all the time in the gym because you don't have any glycogen. You have no carbohydrate intake. And so he had such a better experience and it led to not only a more productive um, performance on stage in terms of the bodybuilding contest, but he was so much more productive the entire prep as a result of having more energy in the system. Yeah. I think he mentioned that he even, the, the, the biggest benefit that he, he actually experienced was the, the, uh, the hunger. His hunger wasn't as, as ravenous as it usually would be if, if he was going under prep. It was one of the easiest preps that he's actually had. And, and honestly, we have research that outlines how that happens with, because a lot of people, they think of, oh, we're going to move more because they automatically associate it with exercise. And that's right. not what it is. It's more movement. So we actually have, there's actually a, a landmark study that I love uh, speaking about. So, uh, you know, if you don't mind, I'll tell you about it. No, there's no. Study, yeah, there's a study by Bilal. And what they did was they looked at factory workers in different positions and essentially separated, you know, the job positions out into different groups based on their physical activity levels. And then they analyze how their levels of physical activity impacted their energy intake and their body weight. Now, this was initially just looking at those compositions, but they also started looking at hunger and their ability to regulate their energy intake as a result of how active they were. And the results of the study found that those that were in the sedentary and low activity level groups, so like the supervisors and the clerks who had office positions, so they were seated most of the day, had the highest body weights. They not only did the least amount of activity, but they also had the lowest amounts of energy expenditure, but they also suffered from dysregulated appetite signaling, which resulted in them eating a ton more calories than they were burning per day. So they were basically in this massive surplus. And what researchers actually saw was they looked at all the energy intakes of from the, the sedentary to the low, to the moderate, to the active, to the highly active, to the very highly active. Mm -hmm. And they were eating as many calories per day on average as those in the very high activity group. So those with the highest amount of activities and those with the lowest amount of activities were eating the same amount of calories. But those in that sedentary category were an average of 30 to 40 pounds heavier than those in the higher activity level categories, even when comparing workers of the same exact height. And so then what they looked at was, well, what's happening with those in the moderate, the high and the very high activity levels. And in those groups, they all maintain the same body weights as one another. However, their calorie intakes basically scaled linearly. So those in the very high group ate an average of around 800 calories more per day than those in the moderate activity group, yet they maintain the same body weight as the moderate group. And this is due to the fact that those who move more are able to eat more to maintain energy balance, which allowed them to maintain the same body weight, but at a higher calorie intake. So despite doing more activity and eating more, those in the very high group actually reported better appetite regulation and lower levels of hunger. And we actually have multiple studies that show that higher levels of physical activity result in better regulation of hunger and satiety as being active allows you to have a better satiety response post-meal. So this causes you to feel fuller quicker after a meal, which lowers the likelihood of you overeating 
you know, so this is really helpful for those that are trying to stay in a, you know, a state of energy balance and adhere to a diet. So a lot of times people will think, oh, well, if I move more, I'm going to automatically compensate with more calories. <laughs> well, you're going to increase calories because that's what we're doing. That's, that's why I don't just say move more and then, you know, eat the same or eat less. Right. That, that's the typical model is everyone says eat less, you know, exercise more. And that's truthful. But like I said, it isn't useful because that's where, why so many people say diets fail or people fall off the wagon. And so when you have higher levels of activity, you can eat more, but you're also going to feel more satiated and you're not going to have this massive hunger response from exercise because in most of the literature, we actually see that most forms of exercise, especially low intensity exercise, like walking or steps, it actually makes you less hungry than it does make you hungry. Is there a correlation of ghrelin to the, uh, to the signaling of uh, higher activity? Is that what is that where it all stems from? I'm assuming it has to do with the leptin or ghrelin, right? No, so it doesn't. I have never seen it correlated to ghrelin. Ghrelin is more of an entrainment hormone, meaning it runs off your circadian rhythm, and you can entrain that based on the the timing in which you eat. So if you notice with ghrelin levels, it spikes up. Your hunger spikes up during your normal times of eating, about 30 minutes to an hour prior. Right. So really. What we see with ghrelin is it's based on total caloric intake. So actually, if you were to eat more, you would have less of a ghrelin response because you're in a state where your leptin levels are higher. higher. So you're having more of you know, a response. Your body knows that it's in a state of high energy availability. Whereas when you're chronically restricting, that's when we see leptin lower and ghrelin go up. Wow. Okay. That kind of makes sense. It's, 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 a, it's a phenomenal phenomenon, actually. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to touch base on that because I, I've, read, I've read the studies and I've read the benefits um, in terms of how, how it affects people's lives, how they're managed to, I think even Jason has started doing it as well and implementing it with some of his clients. I know when, I, when he was my coach, he started talking about uh, G-Flux and, and how he's incorporating steps into all his clients. Now, I think, you know, depending on the clients, he's asking for 10,000, 12,000 steps a day. Yeah, and Jason, Jason actually... Jason used to not believe in steps. And then he had reached out to me. We had a conversation about this. And he was like, listen, this is something I'm changing my mind about. So we've had many talks about it. And even during his prep, he asked me, you know, some, some consultations about it. And so it was great to be able to, you know, Jason's someone I've looked up to forever, man, to be honest with you, that's, that's one of my mentors. And so to be able to share and impart something that's worked for me and then see it work with him, that was like, I got to tell you, that was like a huge moment of validation for me. No, totally. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things, you know, the issue that, I don't even think it's an issue. I think the biggest misconception is that you have to, you have to be able to have an open mind. I've actually, I'm a big peptide guy. I know he doesn't like peptides, but there's studies that show great benefits of some of these peptides in terms of utilizing peptides to benefit your growth. Um, He attempts to go a different approach. So there's different ways to skin a cat, but having an open mind to listen to people and what they've actually been able to apply in real world case scenarios, that's what makes you a better coach. Hundred percent. We can learn from everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. and here's the thing: not every approach is going to work for everyone. So I will, I will put this out into there. I have used this with hundreds of clients. So yeah, I have a bias towards this approach because I've seen it work so many times, and it's something I utilize myself. But I will say, yes, I utilize it with the majority of my clients. But for some, it's not applicable or it doesn't fit in their lifestyle or it's something that they're not interested in doing. Some people, they really just don't like to eat. So they don't want to eat more and move more. You know, it's not in their interest. They don't want to meal prep more or whatever it may be. And then also, whenever it comes to a new approach or a new principle, what I always try to, you know, instill, and I take this on because I believe in being a perpetual student, we take the Bruce Lee mentality. So you take that white belt mentality. And you take what's useful and you discard what's useless. And what's useless is based on who you're working with, the context in which it's presented in front of you, 
the individual's circumstances and their individualistic characteristics. And you, you modify things based on that. So who I work with is going to be different than who you work with. And then someone listening to this. So it's take the principles and then apply them and monitor your feedback. That's what this is really all about. It's not because Brandon said this. Yeah. It's, it's so all about important. biofeedback. Biofeedback is, is the most important thing. I, I think I, this is what I learned from Jason the most is biofeedback. I, I asked my clients, you know, and they're always wondering why, why do you care? I want to know how many hours of sleep did you get? Because that's going to affect your glucose level. Uh, I want to know if you drank water. I want to know if you're hydrated. I want to know what your hunger level is. I want to know. I want to know all those things because it, it, it allows me to analyze why when we're doing um, like your, your blood work markers, I, I, it allows me to understand why you're reading high if you didn't fast before you went and did your, your, your glucose reading. Why your liver enzymes high if you're not running anabolics. Why? So understanding all of that feedback helps you analyze a little bit better. And there's, I've even found it, you probably have found it too. There's, there's some people that genetically run high liver enzymes no matter what. It, it yeah, and then also we have to look at it in the context of when did they go get blood work? Were they, and, and they also yeah. how long before training? Because training, training can, yeah. can increase because it's increasing muscle protein breakdown. So you're having those metabolites of, of protein degradation in your blood for up to seven days. There's research studies where they've actually looked at resistance trained individuals yeah. and blood tested them multiple days after or done blood work on them multiple days after testing and just muscle damage alone, which incur you you incur in the gym you know it's a part of especially eccentric movements yeah. and and training at long muscle lengths that has increased ast and alt levels for up to seven days so if yeah. you haven't taken i always recommend my clients at least three days let's minimize creatine intake let's make sure you're hydrated before you go in there's so many things that i'm looking yeah. at because it will it will skew things and then also we have to realize as practitioners that there's a difference between what's normal and what's optimal and there's also different but a difference between reading and interpreting blood work from the average person than from the athletic population. Totally. I really think that, totally. that the best thing that the functional medicine you know, um, realm has done is we look at different values. We're looking at different metrics and we have a different, um, I guess, definition of what's optimal as, com as compared to conventional medicine. Because if we really look at it, if, if you look at how the standard of care is or the standard blood values are, um, you know, those lab ranges are made Ridiculous. it's averages on the population if you really think about it in america we have 50 to 70 percent of people are overweight or obese yeah. and think about they do they do population studies so they take a subsect of the population and then they establish lab values out of that but if the average population is sick sedentary and obese that's going to impact what's optimal or what's yeah. normal on that range and i always tell my clients we're not shooting for normal we're shooting for optimal optimal hey amen I, I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday uh, Blake, if you're listening, listen to that part of the, of the discussion. I said it's exactly the same thing. I said, why? I don't even look at the normal. I don't even look at the normal, the high, the low. I may glance at it, but I'm looking at the reading and I'm looking how it correlates to other readings in order to optimize. Uh, I had a, a client of, uh, that's what, 34. And basically he he's running TRT and he's, he's his reading is 600. And I said, well, I mean, it's okay, but it's not optimal. You know, I mean, how do you feel? I feel okay. You know, but I've experimented running on 150 or 200. I feel much better than I said, well, why are you running 100 then? Because my doctor said that he can't, he, he, I shouldn't be running more than 100. Well, how do you feel at 100? Not great. Well, you know, let's, let's, why don't we try to optimize? What the, the most important thing is that you're, I think people need to understand you're not 
when you're an athletic performance athlete, when you're an athlete, and I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast, most of them are athletes, enthusiasts, people that go to the gym four to five times a week, that people that push the limits a little bit more. That yeah, are, and let's they, let's differentiate that. When it's very athletes, That doesn't mean you're competitive. That yeah. means you are someone that's active. You're serious about what you're doing. You're in the gym. You're pushing yourself. So we have to realize that there's different standards in which we have Absolutely. to hold ourselves and there's different metrics we have to look at. So for instance, Ron, we're talking about blood work right now. This is a perfect example. And I'm very passionate about blood glucose management, insulin sensitivity. My father died of diabetic complications. So it's something that I've been deeply entrenched in for, for the majority of my life. And here's the thing. If you look at the average lab values in the US, they're between 65 and 99. So if you were to Rain, if you were to hit a 95 fasted blood glucose on blood work, your doctor would say, oh, you're normal. You're good. Here's the thing. We have research literature that yeah. for every point, every milligram per deciliter, over 84 milligrams per, or nanograms per deciliter on fasted blood glucose, you are at a 6% increased rate for diabetes I mean, in the next decade. So listen yeah. to this. If you come in at a 95, Ron, on your blood work, your doctor's going to say you're fine. Actually, you're at a 60% higher chance and increased risk of diabetes in the next decade. And those are things that they're not educating people about. And so that's why I'm so passionate about. It. I take all these, I always tell my, my clients, I'm peeling back the layers of the onion. And what I'm looking at is I'm looking at more, multiple markers. I'm not just looking, say for insulin sensitivity. I'm looking at their fasted blood glucose. I'm looking at the postprandial readings that I had them do after meals. I'm looking at their HbA1c, so that three-month marker. I'm looking at their fasting insulin so that I can triangulate all these things and then determine their actual level of insulin sensitivity. Because I've had so many people come to me that have in-range blood glucose values. They might be at 90 but they, when I check, I check their fasted insulin, it's sky high. So what, what it's doing is your body's super, you know, um, over secreting over, insulin yeah. and it's compensating. So it looks like your blood glucose looks in range, but you're in a state where you're leading to hyperinsulinemia, which is a leading indicator and predictor for insulin resistance and type two diabetes. So and it's I, always about peeling in and digging in deeper. Yeah. I always think that the biggest issue that I, I see, and I, I've seen it with, uh, I've seen it more with females. I don't know. Maybe the, the clients that I have is, um, I, I always ask, right, did you fast? And anytime that I see a person who's in shape and some of my, some of my, my, uh, my clients are in decent shape. Their females are in decent shape. Some of the guys are in, in, in good shape as well, but I'm looking at their fasted glucose is in it's nine. And mine was always, nine, it's always been 95, 94, even when I hydrate. And what I learned is that, uh, for the clients that I do have that were running a little higher on the insulin side on the fasted glucose level, as I started peeling out the onion, as they say, I noticed the cortisol level was high. So I found the correlation between high cortisol with high insulin levels. At that point, I started looking at A1C and see where that falls in place. Now, granted, once we started fixing cortisol levels, was through supplementation, through added sleep cycles, through establishing a protocol to, to getting into bed at a, at a certain time and establishing a pattern of consistency when it comes to like, okay, what establish a sleep cycle. And what is that? What do you, what do you do to prep before you go to bed? You know, I noticed, started noticing that people started sleeping more. Their blood glucose levels literally drop as the cortisol level drops. Yeah. But here's the thing. So that's, we refer to that as dawn phenomenon. So really what happens is when you have high cortisol, your body's in this, this state of fight or flight. So it's essentially in the sympathetic state 
where it's liberating energy. It's breaking down glycogen and blood glucose to, to liberate glucose into the blood because it thinks you need to fight off. You need energy. So it's going to elevate. So I know a lot of people that have that like adrenaline and catecholamine yeah. response. So they have high levels of adrenaline, noradrenaline. Um, in the morning, as well as cortisol. And then they have those elevated blood glucose markers, which is why I also had them check postprandially. Because think about it, if they had a high carbohydrate meal, if they're insulin sensitive, that, those high carbohydrates, it's going to elicit insulin. Insulin is going to drop down cortisol, and then they're going to be able to regulate their blood sugar. So a lot of times I notice with clients that do run a little bit high in the mornings, whether it's because they're rushing when they take their fasted blood glucose measurements. So they're just stressed from just waking up to an alarm and kind of being in a rush. What I notice is postprandially, they're actually lower than they were fasted glucose levels. So that's why there's so many markers you have to check and then triangulate and really be able to peel back the layers of the onion to say, is this an issue or is this, is this a blood glucose issue? Is this an insulin sensitivity issue or is this a stress issue? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I was talking to Misha the other day on an IG and we were talking about that. It's like reading blood work is like a puzzle. It's you an art. It's, it's an art and it's a puzzle. And I learn every single day more and more because it's a puzzle that you need to start piecing together and really understand, well, is this really a high number or is it a high number because you didn't hydrate? Is it a high number because your cortisol levels are high? Is it a high number because you got into a fight with your significant other right before you went to get your blood work and they really pissed you off and you had a, a cortisol release? I mean, all of those things matter. And, and you, ha- as a practitioner, you have to understand how to interpret those things. And if you're not asking those questions, you're not getting the biofeedback that you're not going to get to the, you're not going to get to, you're not going to get a response that actually dictates the, the actual status of that person. So I think it's, it's tremendously important. I love talking, blood, talking about blood work because I always learn a little bit more. And to me, I think blood doesn't lie. And the, the better you are at understanding blood work, the better you'll be at making those systemic changes that are going to affect your everyday life. I think it's important. Absolutely, my man. Brandon, Awesome. Let's wrap it up. I appreciate you coming on. I know that we diverted a little bit from deflecting the blood war, but I think I think our listeners will definitely appreciate the wealth of knowledge that you bring on. As always, I want to thank you for coming on. I know that you have a very busy schedule, and I think that uh, definitely want to have you back for some other episodes. I mean, you you bring you hit so many key points that I actually try to drive to my clients. Uh, one of them is making sure that you peel yourself or peel, have somebody fix your markers. Don't rush the process. Be systemic in the changes that you make. I think the biggest issue that we see, and I see, and I'm sure you do too, is people that are trying to diet themselves, they go from, from nothing to everything, or they want to do everything to nothing, meaning those changes are too drastic, and they're putting themselves in a bad predicament from a hormonal standpoint, from a, from a metabolic standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint, and those never work. So, uh, Brendan, tell me where can people reach you for coaching? Absolutely, my man. Listen, I, I want to hit on one thing before we close out. I do have to run because I do have a call coming up here, but I do want to hit on the fact that the biggest thing that has really moved my coaching and the success I've had with my clients is really focusing on the fact that we cannot separate physiology from psychology because the body follows the brain. So with that, what I really try to impart to every person that either consults me, um, contacts me about coaching or even someone that just asked me questions is first, we have to make sure that you're both in a great state physiologically. So internally, and then also mentally. So uh, psychologically. And with that, we need to focus first on the process because a lot of times people focus only on the goal and focusing on a goal is not an outcome focused 
approach, which is going to lead to long-term sustainable results. So as with anything with energy flux, go into it with moderation. When I say move more or eat more and move more, I'm saying it in a moderate approach. Don't go from, if you're, you're running, you're doing three to 5,000 steps per day to 15,000 steps per day. So that's why I always put the caveat. This is within the constraints of my lifestyle and what I've acclimated to and what I do within my daily schedule and what I fit in and how I feel best. I like living a lean lifestyle. If you ever see me, I'm always lean. I'm always in shape. And that's just, I'm a, a proponent of practicing what I preach. So I walk it, I talk it, I do everything. And yeah. with that, everything is, is based on the individual. So like I said, I have clients in high flux at 7,000 and clients at high flux in 15,000, all based on the individual. But overall, if you guys want to, to reach out to me and contact me, best place to reach me on is one of two places at Instagram at Brandon DeCruz underscore. I post, I've literally have not missed an educational post one day since 2017. So if you guys are ever looking for an archive of information on energy flux, on metabolic adaptation, on any of these topics, blood work, biofeedback, I have an archive of those things. And then also um, my email is bdecruzfitness at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, you heard it, guys. I appreciate the wealth of knowledge that you bring on. I, I It's been a great, a great podcast, great episode for everybody to listen to. I appreciate you coming on. And that's a wrap, guys. You know how to reach Brandon if you ever need somebody that, that has this level of expertise for coaching with his lifestyle of competitive bodybuilding. Branding is somebody that I truly, truly recommend for all of you guys. With that being said, thank you for, for tuning in. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your patronage. And uh, that's a wrap, guys, for episode 42 of Fitness. Thanks, Brandon, for coming on. Absolutely, man. Pleasure to be here.